account so we can see God's plans unhindered. And so that we can see that His plans are unhindered and that Jesus is the one who is expanding His church through the Spirit's power despite all opposition. And, and the book of Acts is meant to increase our faith in God. It's meant to increase our faith in God's plans. It's meant to make us long for the Holy Spirit, to look for the Holy Spirit to enable us to to do what He's called us to do, to be on mission. And so one of the reasons why, as a pastoral team, why we desired to preach through the book of Acts is because we believe that we as a church, we need to grow. We need to grow in our pursuit of the Spirit. We need to grow in seeking to be filled with the Spirit. We need to grow in pursuing the Holy Spirit's empowering presence to enable us to be His witnesses and to live for Him in all of life. Last week, we looked at the account in the first 13 verses of Acts chapter 2, and when the Holy Spirit came in the day of Pentecost. And if, if you read through, if you've not read through that account, when you read through that account, read it as if it's the very first time you've ever read it. We're meant to experience the, the first 13 verses of Acts 2 that way. It was a dynamic, powerful, infilling, outpouring of the Spirit. It was unexpected and it empowered them and enabled his disciples to be to be witnesses. And it empowered them to speak of the things that were most important. Jesus Christ and him crucified. And we're going to look a little bit more about the content of the message today from the book of Acts. So if you'll turn your Bibles, please. Acts chapter 2. We're reading a long part of the passage. It's, it's really Peter's sermon. The people have gathered, they've heard this mighty rushing wind. The people have gathered, and Peter, inspired by the Holy Spirit, he uses opportunity to preach a sermon. So we're going we're gonna to read Peter's sermon together today, and I apologize if you hear my cough drop rattling around in my mouth there. I've got still overcoming a sinus infection. I've been on antibiotics. I'm not contagious, just in case you're wondering, so don't worry. Um, so Acts chapter 2, verses 14 through 37. This is God's holy inspired word. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and he addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these men are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed 
by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried. And his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit. Thank you that you didn't just pour out the Holy Spirit in that day, but that you promised to pour out your Spirit on all flesh. Lord, and you promised to give us gifts of the Spirit and that your sons and daughters will prophesy. Lord, we need to hear your voice this morning. We need you to pour out your Spirit this morning. God, I pray that you would pour out your Spirit anew. Lord, thank you that all of us who have been called by your name have already have your spirit. But Lord, we need you to pour your spirit out to fill us, to enable us to speak of you, to enable us to glorify you, God, and to revive our hearts. God, I pray as your, your word goes forth today that you would revive weary hearts, Lord, by your Holy Spirit. May we see an exalted view of Jesus and be revived. Father, for those who do not know you, I pray that you would make alive, that the result would be, what should we do? Father, we pray for your spirit to be with us so that our message might be the same message that Peter gave. The message that glorifies you. God, may we glorify you in all of our lives with our actions and with our speech. Empowered by your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, um, when I was growing up, I'd always dreamed that I would have wealthy parents. I didn't. Um, I always thought, well, wouldn't it be cool for my 16th birthday if, if my parents could, you know, buy me tons of things? And, and that, that wasn't the case for me. Maybe that wasn't the case for you, but imagine if you had wealthy parents, and so on your 16th birthday, 
they throw you a huge party and they invite all of your friends, all your family members over to the house. And so everybody comes and you open up all these presents and it's really exciting. And you get all kinds of cool things from your friends and all kinds of cool things from your parents and I mean from your family. And, and then from your parents, though, there's there's nothing. There's no present at all. And so you're wondering about that and like, what's up with that? They, they promised that this would be great. This would be memorable, that that it'd be worth waiting for. And so they hand you a little box and it doesn't look very good. And you, you open up this little box and there's this old kind of worn out key inside of this box and then they take you outside and they show you that this this worn out key it belongs to my dream car a 63 corvette stingray it might not be a great car for you guys but for me that would be an amazing gift it's got power it's it's exciting it's fast it's a great thing but then my parents would say, but well, the reason why you're giving this thing is that you don't have to rely on, on other people giving you rides places and so that you don't have to walk to school. We've given you a car because we want to enable you to get to school. That's the primary purpose. Now, enjoy it. And believe me, I would enjoy that too, especially the convertible, you know, top down this time of year would be awesome. But the purpose is so that I could get to school. And so, you know, I, I would enjoy it. I would revel in it. But I wouldn't forget that, you know what, every day, the reason they gave me this car is so I could get somewhere, so I could do something, so I could, I could get to school. The, the Holy Spirit is, is, is not a car, but He's a dramatic gift. And the disciples, they received this gift. They didn't know what to anticipate. They didn't know what to expect. They'd been promised a gift from their Father. They'd been promised a gift of the Father that He would be giving to them. It would be worth waiting for. They didn't know what to expect. Last week we saw the first 13 verses. All of a sudden they're sitting around and this loud rushing noise comes and then they experience an amazing gift. A gift that's powerful. A gift that's exciting. A gift that's dramatic. A gift that draws attention. But ultimately this gift is not to draw attention to the disciples. It's not so that they can just... Enjoy the power and the experience of it, although that's a good thing to do. The gift was to enable them to do what he called them to do. The gift was to enable them to be witnesses. The gift was to enable them to speak on his behalf, to share the good news of Jesus Christ. So often today that we can get all caught up with manifestations of the gifts of the Spirit and we can seek after the manifestations instead of saying, God, and give me these gifts of your Spirit so that I can go and then be your witnesses. So that, Lord, I can go and testify of you. So, God, I can tell others of this greatest thing. Lord, embolden me, fill me. And, and, and so the main point really from the text this morning that I think we need to see is that the Spirit has been poured out. He's been poured out in a dramatic way. And he's been poured out in these last days. And it's, it's for a reason, though. It's the gift of the Spirit has been given for a reason. It's, it's to enable his disciples to testify that Jesus is the Lord. It's to enable his disciples to testify that Jesus is the Lord. And before we even get started, just a few questions for you and I this morning. is: Are you anticipating, like the disciples sat together in the upper room, are you anticipating the pouring out of the Spirit? Are you longing for it? Now, you can't make the gifts of the Spirit come, but there is something about going and anticipating and waiting and positioning yourself. A few weeks ago, I talked about windsurfing and how waiting for our sails to be filled, and then He comes and He fills our sails with His Holy Spirit. Are you waiting? Are you looking? Are you longing for the pouring out of the Spirit? 
And then are you longing for the pouring out of the Spirit, not just so that you can experience it personally, but so that you can testify that Jesus is the Lord? And let me ask another question. What is your whole life geared around? Matt Child shared this morning at the the ministry mic that our identity is in Christ Jesus. And that truly is where our identity is. If you've been made a disciple of Jesus Christ, everything has changed. For the early disciples, everything changed. Everything changed for the early disciples. And their life became about one thing. Their whole life became about testifying of Jesus Christ. And that is why the Spirit has been poured out. The Spirit has been poured out in these last days to enable His disciples to testify that Jesus is Lord. I want you to put yourself in Peter's shoes for a moment. Peter, he just 53 days earlier, think about this, 53 days ago, what were you doing? Imagine that 53 days ago, you denied your Savior to his face, and he turned and looked at you. That's what happened to Peter 53 days prior to this experience. Peter had denied his Lord. He said, no, I'll never leave you. I'll be strong. I'll never forsake you. I'll never turn back. I'll never turn away. And yet what happened 53 days prior to this experience of the Holy Spirit, Peter was sitting around a campfire outside of the courtyard. He was sitting with some some lower level of society in that day, the, the servants. These weren't people he had to look to impress. These weren't people he had to worry about. Oh no, what will they think of me? And a servant girl says, weren't you one of the disciples? Weren't you with them? And Peter denies his Lord. And then he's asked again. And he denies him again. And then a third day... Peter swears, he uses swear words, and he, he calls down curses, essentially, saying, I, I, know, I don't know the man. This is the same Peter now who we encounter in Pentecost in this passage, who's now been transformed. Peter now, he stands up. He's not afraid. He's not ashamed to speak in Christ's name. Peter had not spoken up to associate with Christ now, and now he lifts up his voice and he addresses thousands, where before he didn't even address the servant people around him. Now he stands up with boldness and he proclaims Jesus Christ. And this word that we have for addressed in the English language, it really means a spirit-inspired utterance. This is is not another language, but this is a spirit-inspired address, a spirit-inspired delivery. And how does this happen? How does a man who feared a young servant girl and a few other people around a fire in the darkness, how does he now in broad daylight stand up boldly before more than 3,000 people? Because it says 3,000 people came to Christ this day. We'll see that later on in, in the following weeks. How does one who betrayed his Savior now speak on his Savior's behalf? How is he not crushed with condemnation and guilt? How is he not crushed with fear and shame? Thinking, I'm not worthy to stand up and talk. I was the one who had a, who talked, I, had a, I talked a big game and I betrayed my Savior and, and I, don't, I don't deserve to stand up in front of all these disciples and speak of Jesus and, and be a, a voice. I was ashamed. I, I, I'm guilty. I'm not worthy. You ever have those thoughts? You ever have those feelings? 
Maybe 53 days ago, maybe five days ago, maybe 10 days ago, you found yourself experiencing those feelings of guilt or condemnation or unworthiness or feeling like, I'm not worthy to speak in Christ's name. I'm not worthy to speak on behalf of him. So how does this happen? Peter has experienced something. He's experienced the free and complete forgiveness of Jesus Christ. That's a question for each and every one of us. Have we experienced the the free and complete forgiveness of Jesus Christ? But not only this, something dramatic happened just prior to this. Peter has experienced the infilling of the Holy Spirit. The empowering, the enabling of the Holy Spirit to be witnesses and the empowering to speak on his behalf. Jesus called him to be witnesses and now he's empowered him to speak on his behalf. And the first point we're going to see from this is that really this, the Spirit enables disciples to speak of him. What does the Spirit's work do? What does the pouring out of the Spirit result in? What does the Holy Spirit's coming do? Well, the Spirit enables disciples to speak of him. Are you weak in your testimony? Are you weak in testifying of him? Pursue and seek the Spirit. Paul actually later on commands to be filled with the Spirit. It's a command. It's an ongoing command to be filled, to pursue being filled. And why? Because the Spirit enables His disciples to testify of Him, to speak of Him. Peter experienced the Holy Spirit. He's emboldened. He's infilled. He's enabled. He's empowered. He hadn't prepared a speech. Think about this. This is a great sermon. He had not prepared this. This is a spur of the moment. He was not expecting 5,000 people or however many thousand people to come running, right? He was sitting there with his, with his bros. He was hanging out. He was drinking some coffee or some whatever they drank back then. He wasn't expecting thousands of people to come running. He didn't have time to prepare what he was going to say when they showed up suddenly. He wasn't speaking from sermon notes that he crafted in his study for 20 or 30 hours prior. Now, I'm, I'm not against that because, uh, for your benefit, I do spend a significant amount of time trying to study God's Word and craft messages. But our confidence is not in that. Our confidence is that the Holy Spirit enables us to understand His Word. It's just as important to see that Peter didn't prepare the speech for those of you who don't faith that you, have faith that you'll know what to say. Maybe you feel like, I don't know how to testify at work. I don't know how to speak of Him at work. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say at school. I don't know what to say to my neighbor. We need to see that we, we, we don't need to be wrapped up in trying to worry about what are we going to say. If, if you've had the good deposit of God's word in your heart, you can trust and rely in the Holy Spirit to enable you to go and speak out for him. Maybe there's some who feel like you're disqualified to speak because of your sins. Maybe 53 days ago, you may have been ashamed of Christ. Like Peter, he extends the gift of forgiveness of conviction, repentance, and forgiveness, that He can restore you no matter how far off you might feel. Maybe like Peter, you're often saying the wrong things like I do. Maybe you you put your foot in your mouth a lot. Wives, you can elbow your husbands. Maybe they're finding themselves theirs. God, by His Spirit, can enable you to speak great things for Him and boldly proclaim the Gospel. He can redeem All of us who put our foot in our mouths. The sermon by Peter's demonstration by the Spirit's enabling and empowering somebody who previously said some pretty dumb things to perhaps say the most glorious things. Peter speaks confidently and boldly and tells them to listen. He says, you know what, it's 
He says, it would be absurd to think that these men are drunk. It's only 9 a.m. We haven't even had our, our time of sacrifice yet, and we haven't had lunch yet, and um, no one in the right mind would, would drink wine before the sacrifice and before lunch. And he moves on to explain what happened. He moves on to explain that the Spirit, it's inauguration of the time when the, the Spirit will be poured out on all flesh. And just as a side note, um, Peter wasn't devoid of the Bible when the Holy Spirit empowered him to speak. Peter speaks the Bible. In this passage, he actually speaks from three different places in the Bible spontaneously. And that just shows you that where was Peter grounded? What was he dwelling in? What was he thinking on? What was he meditating on? What was he feeding on? He was feeding on God's Word. And that's a little kind of a side lesson for us is what are we feeding on? What are we dwelling on? And when we say we, we want to testify of Jesus, really, what, what are we feeding on? Are we, are we filling ourselves with God's Word so that when His Spirit empowers us, we can speak as God's Word out? Or are we filling up on other things? God's going to use that good deposit that's within us as we pursue being filled with the Spirit. Not only does the Spirit enable disciples to speak of Him, He also, it's a sign of the last days to come. And so the second point we're going to see is that the Spirit, it's a sign, He's a sign, the Holy Spirit's a sign of the last days before the Lord comes. And, and really in verses 16 to 21, if you look down your Bibles, you can see that that is what Peter is saying. He says, in these, this is what this is. This is what it's all about. What does this pouring out of the Spirit mean? This means that we're living in the last days. This is just like the prophet Joel declared when he said that in the last days, it's a sign. If you've ever driven up um, I-85 north for about 35 or 40 minutes, you've probably seen a very large sign on the left-hand side of the road. I'm, I'm guessing most of you know what it is. It's kind of a really large sign. It's, it's before you get to a town. Anybody know what that is? It's a peach. It's massive, massive peach on the side of the road. We refer to it derogatorily with something else. I'm not going to say that right now. But it's a massive peach. And it's, it's a clear sign that you're coming up to Gaffney, that you're coming up on Gaffney. If you're just driving mindlessly, you're not knowing where you're going, all of a sudden the big peach appears and you know that Gaffney is, is close. And so Peter is explaining that this dramatic, this, this, this sign that they're experiencing, it's a sign that the last days are here. They might have not known the Jews who are coming to hear him, they might not have known, might not anticipate, not look for the fact that the last days are here, that they're living the last days. But he says, look and see this dramatic signs that you're seeing that's being poured out in front of you. It's a sign that the fulfillment of the prophecy God had given to Joel has come to pass. You can know that since the Spirit's been poured out and given the gift of prophecy to so many here, is what he's saying, it's a sure sign that we're in the last days and the end is drawing near. And so Peter's also explaining what they were saying. If you remember, they, they were speaking in other languages, but they had no clue what they were saying. It was, it was a form of New Testament prophecy in the sense. It was, a, it was a tongue, yes, but they were speaking of the things of God. They were telling of the things of God in discernible languages. And he says, this is what... The prophet Joel said, in the last days, it shall be God declares, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And he tells them that they're living in these last days. And for us, we are still living in these last days. These last days when, when God is pouring out his spirit on all flesh. Think about that. We're in the last days. Do you realize that? Do you live that way? We have the wonderful gift where he has poured out his spirit on all flesh, where never before was his spirit freely available to all mankind. 
Hebrews 1, 2 says that in many ways, in various ways, God spoke of old to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. Since the coming of Jesus, the son of God, we are living in the last days. And these, these last days, they haven't ended yet. The day of the Lord, the great magnificent day when he will return has not yet come. What does that mean? He is not yet finished in these last days pouring out his spirit. The spirit wasn't just poured out for the disciples in those days. It's poured out for all of us in these last days. In the Old Testament, it didn't, the spirit didn't rest on all flesh permanently the same way. Sometimes he would give the spirit for a time to skilled tradesmen or craftsmen, um, sometimes to prophets, sometimes to the king, but it was never permanently. The Holy Spirit, he was never permanently resident in the Old Testament. But now in these last days, God has poured out His Spirit on all flesh. And then He explains the effects of this outpouring of the Spirit. He says, your sons and your daughters will prophesy. And this is a widespread thing He's talking about. This is not, well, you know, five of you, your sons and your daughters will prophesy, but the rest won't ever happen. What He's talking about is the effects of the Spirit are widespread and they're going to be seen in the widespread gifts of the Spirit. One of the marks of the outpouring of the Spirit is not just a chosen few, but many of sons and daughters of God will prophesy. And He says that it's not limited to that. He says young men will see visions and old men will dream dreams. It's not just talking about having a good dream at night and these visions are not just having a good imagination during the day. This is talking about spirit-inspired, prophetic visions and dreams, something only a few people in the Old Testament experienced. And these are the signs that will be prevalent in the last days. We don't have time today to go through um, the gift of prophecy and what is he talking about here and what does that look like? What does it look like for dreams and visions and and how should we look at the the gift of prophecy? But um, I want to take a break, not a break, but I want to just pull out next week and and take a look at the gift of prophecy that Peter's referring to because we're going to see it so much through the book of Acts. But he says, even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I'll pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. And this, this pouring out is a beautiful image. It's a beautiful image. God isn't giving his spirit sparingly. He pours it out. And he isn't sprinkling his spirit around on his chosen few. He's, he's liberally pouring it out on his people. There used to be a, a water park within walking distance from where we lived in, in Canada. And it was in the community and there was all these little sprinkle things happening. And then there's this one pole that was in the middle of the park and it had these arms that came out and there's these huge buckets on, on top of this pole. And you may have seen them in a, in a local water park. And, 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 um, I remember the first time the kids experienced that. And when, and, and you go to the water park and, and what's happening, you're like, what in the world is that bucket all about? And this water is kind of going into the bucket and going into the bucket, going into the bucket. And then all of a sudden the bucket, whoosh, it dumps out and it pours out a deluge. And you get drenched where maybe you're being sprinkled before here and there. But now if you're underneath this bucket, you're going to get totally soaked to the bone. And that's really this, that, that, that image of the outpouring of the Spirit. It's a liberal, liberal outpouring of the Holy Spirit where God is saying, I'm not just going to give it to a, cho- a chosen few. I'm going to give it to all of my people. And it invokes really the imagery. I, I love the, the, the language here. It invokes the imagery of a torrential downpour of rain on a parched and barren land. Maybe you're feeling parched and barren this morning. He gives us His Holy Spirit. 
And in the last days, he pours out his spirit, not sparingly, but he pours it out. And we're meant to long for his spirit so that we can testify of him. No one's excluded from those who will be gifted with the spirit. He goes through a bunch of different categories, young men, young women, um, young and old, old slaves and free. It's every category. All of God's people, all flesh will be gifted with the Spirit in some way. In many, there will be a widespread gifts of prophecy. Not everybody has the Holy Spirit will prophesy, but many will, is what he's saying. And this outpouring of the Spirit points to the fact that we're all living in the last days. And if we're living in the last days where the Spirit's poured out, it's clear from the reference that, that Peter mentions, not just are we living in the last days, but the end is drawing near. The end is drawing near. He says, signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor and smoke and sun shall be turned to darkness, moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes. Living in the last days is a sign of the fact that the end times clock is ticking. And Peter says, in light of these last days, in light of the judgment, you need to hear that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And that's the content of the message that he is preaching He's explaining the gifts of the Spirit. He's explaining the outpouring of the Spirit. And the content of his message is to call people to be saved, to call people to call on the name of the Lord. And the reason the Holy Spirit inspires Peter to stand up and speak is so he could point to the Messiah. We see that whenever the Holy Spirit enables his disciples to speak, he always points to Jesus. The gifts are not meant, the Spirit is not meant to point to you. It's meant to... Enable us to point to Christ. Where, where's our life pointing, by the way? Are we, are we pointing? Are we, are we showing? Are we, are we calling people? Verse 22, the Spirit's the one who indwelt Jesus, and it was by the Spirit of God that Jesus did mighty works and wonders and signs. Look, look down in your Bibles. It says, men of Israel, he that hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. The third thing we're going to see is that the Spirit points to Jesus, the Messiah. The mighty works of the Spirit, the works that Jesus did through the Holy Spirit while he was here on earth, what were they meant to point to? They are meant to point to the fact, to attest to the fact that he is the Messiah. And then Peter explains that Jesus has ushered in these last days. He was attested by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. And then he appears, appeals to the historical facts of these signs and wonders. He says, you yourselves know that these really occurred. He's not doubting it. He knows that they don't doubt it. He knows that they know that these signs and wonders really happened. Even the historian Josephus, not a Christian, he wrote later on in the century that Jesus was a doer of remarkable, strange works that were unable to be explained. They knew. They knew he had done signs and wonders. And Peter's saying these miraculous works of Christ, they, they were how God attested who Jesus is. The one through whom he brings salvation to all people. And then Peter in verse 22 to 32, he tells him that Jesus is the Lord. What is he doing in verses 23 to 32? He's explaining that Jesus is the one. He is the Lord on whom you must call. He says, everyone who must call on the name, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then he explains, Jesus is the Messiah and he is the one 
on whom you must call. And so in verses 23 to 32, really, we're going to see the Spirit shows that Jesus is the Lord on whom we must call. And really, that is the content of the apostolic message. That's the content of our message that we need to be speaking, that our lives are to be about. And so he goes on and explains how the Messiah could be delivered over and crucified. You see, they would not have expected their Messiah to be crucified. And he had to explain this was not just at the whim of sinful men. This was actually the divine plan and foreknowledge of God. The definite, I love how he puts it, the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Jesus was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. This was not outside of God's sovereignty And just as Jesus' deliverance was not outside of God's definite plan and foreknowledge, don't think for a moment that anything in our lives, those who've been called according to His plans, are outside of His definite plan and foreknowledge. It didn't seem very good that the Messiah would be killed and delivered up this way. But God used the sinful acts of man, sinlessly, to carry out His plans. Sometimes in our lives, God, God uses sinful acts of people sinlessly to enable us to carry His message, to point, to testify of Christ. God knew exactly what would happen. He definitely planned what would happen. His suffering, the crucifixion was not outside of God's plans, is what Peter's saying. They weren't thwarted somehow. There's a heresy that, you know, God had to come up with a plan all of a sudden because He was surprised. No. This was the definite plans, the plans that were fixed before the beginning of the earth. But at the same time, he's also saying in God's definite plans, the blame for killing Jesus was not God's. Jesus was killed and crucified by the hands of lawless men. Who was to blame? It was lawless men. He drives it home then. And and can you imagine if you're in that crowd and he's talking to you and all of a sudden the, the lights begin to dawn and your eyes begin to open, and you realize, oh my goodness, this Jesus, this miracle worker, he really was the Messiah. And then Peter says, this Jesus, you crucified. This Jesus, you crucified and killed. Even though you did it through the hands of lawless men, you are responsible. And if if you are not a believer here today in Jesus Christ, if you've not yet placed your faith in Him, you need to hear this as well. This Jesus who's been attested to, our sins are what put Him on the cross. Yet He died to forgive us for all of our sins. And He calls us to call on His name, to repent and believe. And then we see that Peter goes on in verse 24 He says, God raised him up. He did not remain dead. When God resurrected Jesus, his resurrection was proof that Jesus is greater than death. Death, it was not possible for him to be held by death because the power of death had been broken. You see, death only came because sin entered the world. And because of sin, we all die. Once Jesus paid the sacrifice for those sins and he himself was not sinless, it was, he was unable to be held by death, because death had no right over him. The debt had been paid in full. The sinless one could not be held down. And Peter explains that God vindicated him. 
that God showed that he really is the Messiah. He did not experience corruption. He goes on to explain in these verses that David could not have been speaking about himself when he says that um, you will not allow your Holy One to see corruption because clearly he says you can look and see today. And Josephus even wrote about the, the big kind of mausoleum that they had created, that Herod had put up around the tomb of David at the time because of superstitions about the tomb of David. And he's saying, you can go and see David's tomb here to this day. His bones are right there. Clearly David died. David must have been talking about somebody else. He was talking about Jesus. And this Jesus, he's the Messiah. What's Peter doing? He is explaining God's word to people. He's explaining who Jesus is. And that's really to be the content of our message, is to, is to show people who Jesus is from God's word. And then Jesus, not only, not only was he raised and, and hundreds saw, think about it for a moment. The disciples, they were not, they weren't expecting the resurrection. They weren't anticipating the resurrection. If you think about it, they were afraid. Initially, they locked themselves in a room because they were scared. They thought that their teacher had died. They didn't even believe it when some of their own came to them and said, I went to the tomb and the tomb was empty. And, and, and they thought they were out of their minds. They had to see for themselves. Peter ran to the tomb. He had to see it for himself. And even then he wasn't really truly convinced. And Jesus, Jesus came. And he appeared in the midst of these skeptics, these men who were not easy to convince. And he proved that he is the risen Christ. And then he ate and drank with them. And now he's saying, we are indeed witnesses of this actual historical fact. Just like they witnessed his crucifixion, his death, his burial. It wasn't a symbol or a metaphor. It actually happened. You can have confidence in the message that God has given to you that it actually happened. And it was attested by signs and wonders. And there were hundreds of eyewitnesses and it actually happened. But here's the question. Does the resurrection of Jesus affect us like it did the first disciples? Does the outpouring of the Spirit affect us like it did the disciples? Are you willing to give up everything for the privilege of speaking for him? Is, is this what your whole life is oriented around? Is this what your whole life is all about? See, our faith isn't based on speculation. It's based on fact. It's testified to by eyewitnesses. Not only that, Jesus ascended into heaven And they saw him ascend into heaven. And then Peter explains what that meant. And he says, because the Spirit's been poured out, the Spirit himself now testifies to the authority of Jesus because Jesus is the one who pours the Spirit out. Let me let me explain that. The fifth point, really, the Spirit testifies to the authority of Jesus. What he's saying is that Jesus is now ascended. And now Jesus is the one who is pouring out the Spirit But you see, it was earlier referred to as the promise of the Father, something that only the Father could do. And so what he's saying is that Jesus is God. Jesus is co-equal with God. He is taking the promise of the Father, and he is pouring it out to us. He's ascended to the heavens. David didn't ascend. He's sitting at the right hand of God until God makes his enemies a footstool, and he is pouring out 
the Spirit. Jesus is sharing the exercise of God's authority and pouring out the Spirit and ruling and reigning until all things are put under His feet. And if you were a first century Jew, this would have been significant for you because no one else could sit in God's throne room permanently. No one else could sit at God's side. No one else could take the gift of the Spirit and pour it out. Only God did that. This Jesus who they crucified, He was none other than God. And he's saying Jesus is equal to God and shares his unique glory. And the purpose of these signs and wonders that they heard, it was to point the hearers to Christ and his word. And all of these spiritual gifts, and you'll see all throughout Acts and, and through the rest of the New Testament epistles, the spiritual gifts are always meant to magnify the gift giver, not the ones with the gifts. And so the last thing we'll see is the spirit is given to testify of the Lord Jesus Christ and to convict. We have been given the gift of the Holy Spirit. He's been poured out on us. And we need to wait and seek the infilling of the Holy Spirit. But we already have the Holy Spirit as well. And the Spirit has been given to testify the Lord Jesus Christ and to bring conviction. Peter wraps up his Spirit-inspired sermon. He tells them in verse 36, look down in your Bible, it says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Jesus is the exalted Lord over all. He's the Messiah. And it's this Jesus they were responsible for crucifying. I love that old song talks about it was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. Peter, remember who's speaking here. I imagine he was needy after his denial that he didn't even know Christ. He knew that Jesus had already said, if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before the Father. Peter had no hope in himself. And yet, Peter found hope in Christ's forgiveness. The once empty Peter, he is now filled with the Holy Spirit. And Peter tells them that you're empty too. You're guilty of crucifying, of killing the Lord Jesus. And every good Jew would have known that If they crucified the Messiah, they deserve the ultimate punishment because they rejected God's anointed one. Maybe you are not a believer in Jesus Christ. Maybe you're a skeptic. You haven't placed your faith. Maybe you've rejected God's anointed one. You need to hear that you deserve the ultimate punishment, but there is hope. There is hope found in in conviction in repentance and forgiveness. The forgiveness that Jesus extends. In their emptiness and their need, they're convicted of their sins and they cry out. He says, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. They said to Peter, the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? The Holy Spirit, he had come like a mighty rushing wind. And tongues of fire descended on each one. They began to speak in other native tongues. And they spoke in other languages. And everybody heard them declaring the mighty things of God. They're prophetically speaking of what God had done as they're filled with the Spirit. And this supernatural 
platform. It, it really led this outpouring. It read for, led to a platform for pouring out the good news of Jesus Christ, really, for proclaiming the great news of salvation. It inspired them to, to live for God. It enabled them to do what they were unable to do before. It empowered them to live for him. And then if you look at, look at Peter's speech and think about it, his whole speech was all about Jesus Christ. It's the core message. It was what was central to the disciples' message. It's what's meant to be central to our message as spirit-empowered people. Is the message of Jesus Christ central to your life? Is the message of Jesus Christ crucified, buried, risen, ascended, the Jesus who pours out the Holy Spirit, is the message of Jesus Christ central to your life? Is it what you're proclaiming? Are you living in the light of the fact that these are the last days? It's clear in this instance the Holy Spirit was at work because the result of this we're going to see in a couple of weeks is that 3,000 of them immediately responded when they heard this, they're cut to the heart and they said, brothers, what shall we do? The Holy Spirit convicted them and they responded. I pray that, that we as a church experience a whole range of conviction, not of condemnation, not to live there, not to dwell there. Peter needed to experience conviction so he could experience forgiveness and change. Conviction is not meant to lead us to condemnation, but conviction is meant to, to lead us to Christ and hope in him. And then for us to declare what we've received. So how, how does Peter's message dramatically affected them? Because he's declaring the great truths of who Jesus is. It's not meant to be lost on us. This isn't meant to be boring truths that we just hear about who Jesus is. How are you affected by this message of Peter's? Are you moved to respond to the truth of who Jesus is or or are you a professing Christian who really is not genuinely a Christian and who needs to turn to Christ? If you are a Christian, what are you living for? Whose power are you living by? What's the central message of your life? What message do you respond with when people ask you if you are a Christian and why do you go to church? Are your life and your words full of the Spirit, full of Scripture, full of Christ? Like Peter's message was, was full of, full of Scripture, full of the Spirit, full of Christ. That's what made Peter's message so powerful that day. I believe that God wants us to be a people who are not only full of His Scripture, which we need to be, we must be. People who are full of the Spirit and full of Christ and unashamedly proclaiming His name. And we need the outpouring of the Spirit to enable us to change. And I want us to pray for the outpouring of the Spirit because when the Spirit comes, He comes with power and He enables people to, to do and say things that we otherwise wouldn't be able to. And if we want to experience a great awakening in our own lives, in, in our neighborhood, in, in our schools, in our workplace, in our town, we need to be filled with the Spirit and we need the Holy Spirit to enable us to speak the great things of God and to testify of Jesus Christ. Let's live this way. Living by the Spirit, seeking to be filled with the Spirit, 
seeking to speak of Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Jesus, thank you for dying to forgive all of our sins, that you might bear the punishment, the just wrath of God for all of our sins. Thank you that you have not just died for our sins, but you've been risen to prove that there's no longer condemnation for our sins and that there's freedom and hope in you. Thank you that you've ascended to the right hand of the throne of God and you are now ruling and reigning and over all things in all of our lives. And thank you, Jesus, that you have not left us alone, but you've given us the gift of your spirit. But God, we, we ask you for more of your spirit. God, I ask that you would pour out your spirit. Lord, I do ask that you would pour out your spirit in a spectacular way, that we would we would speak of you with boldness, that our lives would be oriented for you, to you, and we would speak of you. God, give us many gifts of the Spirit so that not to draw attention to ourselves, not to draw attention to this church, Lord, but so that we might speak of you and your great name, Jesus, and fill us afresh. Pour out your Spirit, we pray.